Welcome to the Holistic Spaces podcast, where we hope to inspire, educate, and empower you to create your own holistic spaces that nurture and resonate with you. Angie Cho and Laura Morris are the founders of the Mindful Design Feng Shui School. Together, they have over three decades of experience designing harmonious living spaces. Laura and Angie have guided thousands of people to shift their energy and revitalize their lives. Mindful Design School offers feng shui courses and certifications. Check us out at mindfuldesignschool.com. If you've been listening to us for a while or you're a newbie, welcome. And we hope you enjoy this earlier episode. And I'm so excited to share with you today a conversation that I had with my my uh, teacher, my mentor, Marsha Shabata. She is a uh, Ikebana teacher and practitioner, and she teaches from the Shambhala mindset from the Buddhist discipline of contemplative arts and Dharma arts, where flower arranging is a practice of understanding our own minds. And so we had a conversation and I'm really excited for you to hear it. So, um, here it is. Hi, Marsha. Hello, Angie. Thank Good you. Good to see you again. <laughs> Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, offering to share with us your wisdom on the podcast again. You're very welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. So um, I wanted to talk today about something that's very important to both of us. And I would love you to give your offer your insight on this because um, this is you've dedicated your whole life to this can you tell us what what is Dharma arts I'll do my best it's not so difficult actually Angie the word Dharma is where we have to start and the word Dharma is often very often defined as truth there's another word that is used sometimes to define define dharma. It's norm, norm, N-O-R-M. And there's even another word that I've read sometimes that is defines the word dharma, which is ordinary, normal. And those the word normal, ordinary, and what was the first one I used? Truth. Truth. No, no, not truth. The oh. one after that. Um, truth, norm, and ordinary. Oh, okay. So I only gave you three. Actually, the word truth falls in that as well. The person that ex- starts to examine the truth through meditation or through anything will find that I think they will find that their idea of truth in the beginning is different as they go along and investigate on that. So the their idea or their feeling or their understanding of normality and ordinary also changes. Norm, mm. normal, normality, norm, normal. Um, from the Buddhist point of view, which Dharma is a uh, Buddhist word, from the Buddhist point of view, it is really pointing to the most uh, naked truth that a human being can discover. Um, both relative as well as absolute. So what are we talking about, which is your question? Mm-hmm. What <laughs> is Dharma or truth art? 
Now we have to look at the word art. From okay. the Western point of view, art usually, if not 75 to 85 to 90 percent of the time, ends up as, in people's minds, as something that is separate from ordinary life. Like who would call a vacuuming the house an art form? Probably no one. But in fact, from the Dharmic point of view, we could put vacuuming the house in the art uh, realm. <coughs> Let's go back and look at the word art again from the Western point of view. It's usually assumed that the person that makes art is talented, mm -hmm. therefore special, uh, unique, um, and separate. Those things make uh, special, unique, talented, makes that person separate from mm -hmm. others. Because this, when you have that category of unique and special and talented, the other, other people can say, I am not unique, I am not special, I am not talented. So there's already a separation mm -hmm. in the whole human event, one person to the other. I am this, and the other person is that. And, w and, what's, and why do we want to examine that? Because we're going back to the word truth again. Okay. From the Buddhist point of view... Um, there is no separation between one person and another. When you get down or get up or get into, let's say into is probably the better word, um, into the truth of their existence and your existence. It's the same. I'm talking about the raw truth. And how does that, but how does that benefit us? Which one? Because, well, knowing the raw truth that we're not separated from people, maybe people find that some kind of solace in knowing that they're separate from well, yes. something. Yes, of course. Separation, what we do when we separate is we're trying to find safety. We're trying to find and, find and stay in safety. We're trying to find and stay in a high place, a glorious place. A Controlling place. Any of that, yeah. controlling, um, um, glorious place where people celebrate us. Uh, the tags on that, of course, is uh, making a lot of money. Um, what else does separation do when we get on one end of it? Especially, I'm, I'm thinking it from I the artist's point of view. I think it makes it very individual. Absolutely, and then, absolutely special, yeah. individual. Um, but it also, I was reading recently, like with children, they're trying to teach them not to think about that they have a special talent, but that they have skills that they can cultivate because when you know you, when you know you have a skill at something, when you're good at something, you don't try that hard and you only focus on that skill and then you give up on everything else. And that's it, wonderful to hear. And then when you know that you have the ability to cultivate skills, then you try things and you give things a chance. And I guess it must be really hard to think like, oh, I'm really like, you know, I'm really good at drawing, but I'm not good enough 
uh, as good as this person and I'm not, I don't have that innate talent and I'll never have that. It is very hard on people. I grew mm -hmm. up with that kind of mind. I could do so-and-so very, very well. And therefore I truly believed I could not do these other things. But in fact, uh, I found out through my lifetime that I can do these other things. Mm -hmm. Not as good had I had that open door when I was a child, mm. but it, it turns out that what I believed as a child is not true in terms of not being able to do thus and so. So it gives us some freedom and adaptability and the ability to grow and take... <clears throat> help to manifest what we want in our lives yes it gives us less bound less boundaries mm, makes us it, freer yeah right and also more uh, courage to to go ahead and do things that try to do things that we don't have so much um not like yeah like mm. natural affinity with or that our parents told us we were good at there you go or the it's world always, told that's us. That's right. That's right. Always other people tell us this and so. And we believe them when we're children. We do. That reminds me of this. Um, I was reading a Pema Chodron book and she was saying how we can, we're really butterflies, but we don't realize it. And we just stay in our cocoons instead of realizing that we could explore and be free and, mm. and have these beautiful lives. But mm. really well, just stuck. Yeah. It's a little bit romantic because <laughs> life is sometimes very beautiful and sometimes it's really uh, not so much. But both of it is there. But what we're talking about is basically being uh, nipped in the bud at an early age when in fact it's better to keep that door open and encourage the young ones that they're not limited. And we and so I guess the hopeful thing is that if we, we can, as adults, if we weren't cultivated this way, we can still have the opportunity to cultivate this mindfulness in our lives and Absol openness. Absolutely, of course. Is there any, any place along in our life, if we have the opportunity to realize that we're larger than we think we are or um, more, uh, Nante, we have more possibilities and skill than we think that we do because thinking is a believing which is solid, then good. Whenever, wherever we meet that on, on the road of life, through whatever means, uh, a friendship, a meditation, a book, uh, whatever. And you were telling me the other day how for you, you learned the Dharma or you were able to understand and touch the Dharma through flower arranging. And mm -hmm. that's, one, that's one of the contemplative arts or Dharma arts that you you ex you've explored. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. Nature is an easy one, or flower practice is an easy one, at least it was for me, because you're not given a box of paints like a painter might take on, or you're not given the uh, scale of sounds like a musician would take on. The forms that are used come from nature and they're already complete when they come to you. A branch has already done its thing, it's been cut, but it has a particular form. So there's, there's no, um, the truth is already there in that piece of nature that you're holding in your hand. 
On the other hand, by contrast, painting, paint box, and uh, sound scale, um, pretty much you can you st- let's say start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Although that's not really true, because usually the painter uh, or the graphic artist and the musician is influenced by what they've heard in the past, so their mind is already. Mm, seeded with something. Seeded. S e e d e d. Ah, seeded. Seeded with something. Some some flavor. Some feeling. Some uh, like this and don't like that business. You, well, some like art. Like in the artist's way, this book I read, um, they talk about how an artist doesn't come up with their own ideas. They're they're. Um, things you as an artist you have the ability to manifest it but it's not an idea that you've had it's created in the universe and you're just channeling it i would say yes to that but i would like to put a little more detail on Mm -hmm. that statement which is usually that whoever is doing something now Mm -hmm. is completely and totally continuing the sentence of what has been done in the past so there's connection for you right there. I was looking, for example, at uh, the work of Picasso. And everybody celebrates him as being extremely unique, so and so and so and so forth. But in fact, when you look at the word work of a person called Gaudi, is it Gaudi? Mm-hmm. Antonio Gaudi. That's correct. He was also from Barcelona. Uh, Picasso according to what I have read, looked at the work of Gaudi as a young boy, so he was in, his mind was seeded, S-E-E-D-E-D, already by what had happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the two persons' expressions, they're very much related. So when I say um, whoever's doing something now just continues the sentence of what has gone before us. And... um, People don't really like that because, I mean, people that are in the the art world, particularly in the West, Mm -hmm. because we very much believe in separateness, individuality, and trying to come up with something new. Mm -hmm. Yes, something to be creative. To be creative, yes. To hang on to our specialness, our uniqueness, um, our talentedness. Because we're very often in the West, not very often, the West is built on winning. Winning fame, winning money, winning a place in history, uh, uh, winning, getting to the top of the ladder, all of that sort of thing. And that's um, upheld um, through uh, very, very intense competition. But it's also, the ground of it is separateness. And then what happens when you win? You just keep going, trying to win more. It's never satisfied. Yes. Never satisfied. And also, it's only for the benefit of self. What about everybody else? And that's the painful part, because if a person is really mm, believing in that whole system, they are ignoring the truth of life that the Buddha taught, which is that life is suffering. That's his first, it's called the first noble truth. And I want to say something about suffering. It's not like we run around and say, oy vey, oy vey, oy vey, Mm -hmm. all the time. Because um, 
life is also with joy and friendship and happiness, but it's also, it ta it, there, is, there is the truth that we often don't get what we want and we have to end up dying. Can you end, can, the question is, can you understand, can you be grace, graceful and not afraid of dying? And then there's just fear. How do we handle fear? I'm really going off on Buddhist rabbit right now. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. But it's part of the conversation about dharma, truth, and art. And looking at it from uh, both Western point of view of understanding and Eastern point of view of understanding. How it is different, but it's possible to learn um, or open or go beyond our simple understanding, not simple, but our limited understanding of what is art. So let's go back to the original question, mm -hmm. of what is Dharma art mm -hmm. and vacuum cleaning? Yes. It's very easy to understand that instead of putting it in the category of work and no art or non-creativity, let's say it that way, let us make a little funny scenario here and say your friend asks you to vacuum clean their house. So you okay. don't know the territory as well as your own territory, meaning your own house. Mm -hmm. So you don't know where the electrical plugs are. Your friend is not there. <laughs> okay. So you're on your own. Uh -huh. You don't know where the vacuum cleaner is. You don't know anything. And let's make this scenario a little bit difficult. The vacuum cleaner cord, once you found it, and you just use your, um, let's say, ordinary uh, wisdom to realize that you're not going to find the vacuum cleaner in the refrigerator. You're probably going to find <laughs> it in a closet somewhere. Uh -huh. So you check out the closet. You find the thing. But the cord is not long enough to go to all of the rooms, so, and you don't know where the electrical things are. So then you have to use your, I'm going to call it creativity, that's an extension of the word of creativity, and find an extension cord if there's one in the house. And if there is not one in the house, what is the next thing that you would do is unplug it from a certain set of rooms and find the electrical outlet in another room mm -hmm. and then you can do a nice job for your friend mm. or the best you can and then you'd put away things not just throw the thing in the closet but you would put away the um, extension cord if it was used uh, back where it was and you would put the vacuum cleaner back into the closet where you found it in a condition so that when you're friend came home, it wasn't just a mess of cord hanging around with all the rest of the stuff in the closet, even if the closet was a mess. So that your friend, when they come home and find their vacuum cleaner mm -hmm. for their needs, they might actually notice that someone took care. Mm. The same way that a painter or a musician or a dancer takes care in the use of space and the uh, non-cluttering of the space. It's a small message, it may never be noticed, but there's a little gift there. Now you didn't have to do that. 
you didn't have to put the vacuum cleaner cord back in such a way that was uh, tidy. Mm -hmm. But if you think to do it, it's possible that, and I'm going to use the word creation here, creating, you created a little bit of space for your friend. You created a little bit of a gift for your friend. So I'm, that's how I would explain uh, something as simple as vacuum cleaning. There's other things we could say to it, but I don't know how long we have to share on this little talk. So, but that, so that, would you say that's an example of what Chogun Trumpa would say is art in everyday life? Yes, it is. And let's go back to that point because it's very, it's m perhaps more easily grokked or understood with conversation. It takes usually two people to make a conversation unless you're talking to yourself. Even, <laughs> but even you could use this, this idea with talking to yourself. Very much so. If one person is doing the talking and they never, never, never in let's say three and a half minute uh, re set of remarks give the other person any space, space to <coughs> offer something they might like to share, then there is absolutely no sensitivity and creativity in the conversation. So there's that. That's on a gross level. It's on a gross level. So there's level. this connection between creativity and space. Absolutely. Then, if you are this, let's go back to another more subtle level in conversation or speaking altogether. If you don't, if you are the speaker and you don't pause from time to time and feel your, let's say, feel your brain or feel your, the, the feeling of what you're saying, which includes listening to yourself, to know what word, sentence, or mm, piece of information that is part of the conversation, then you, you end up not only filling up all the space, but you do it through repetition saying the same thing over and over and over again. Oh, yes. We all know that. We all know that. <laughs> and we're all probably guilty of that sometimes. Um, for sure. Because basically we don't listen to what we're saying. We're very anxious for somebody to hear us. And we want to jam them, ho hoping that they will understand us. Hmm. There's a, I won't go there, but there's a number of reasons why. So we repeat. We also say too much we fill the plate too high it's like uh, that restaurant where you go you can eat all you can eat all you can eat but in the end our listener friend if they're still our friend and still there <laughs> they don't even remember anything we're saying because it's too much there's no space there's no space for them to digest or take in yes so creativity, uh, from the Dharma point of view, starts and continues always with understanding and uh, inviting and mm, mm, listening and feeling and tasting for 
the space that's already there. That's, and that's what feng shui is about too, or any any kind of truth, or like a lot of Buddhist philosophy that um, we can often see that neuroses, where we all kind of practice the the speaking neuroses often, especially the people who are very quiet because they're bottling it up a lot. Um, but in our spaces that we fill every single open space possible and then it becomes, it comes to a point where you can't even walk through space. But, Mm -hmm. and that ties into so many other things like feeling like you're not enough or fear of not having enough in the future and poverty mentality. So, um, it's something that all of us can understand. I think so very easily and not being loved or cared for. That's right. And we all, that's right. Also, there's the fear of space, Angie. Uh, we fill up our uh, mind with all of these habits, like I'm a great person, or I'm a jerky person, or a stupid person, or a beautiful person, or an ugly person, or I don't have enough, or, I, or whatever, all the self-judgment business, whether it's positive or negative. Because we don't, we're not able to just sit with nothing, which is actually never really empty. It's very scary for people. Um, You know, they can't put down, I mean, I'm also guilty of this. It's hard to put down your phone and just sit there and wait for something. Mm -hmm. You want to occupy your attention and always be entertained. There's, well, that, but also we want to not touch our fear of nothing. The fear of space in in um in feng shui we say the fear of space is often um like having that you you f- somehow think that you'll die with that space like that's what your psyche thinks yeah exactly um I want to go back to the original question again because i don't it doesn't feel like rounded out enough a little bit, so maybe I would like to offer this in the end of our conversation that Dharma art, we talked about vacuum cleaner, we talked about conversation. Mm -hmm. Dharma art, or art in everyday life, let's say it that way, starts, it never ends. If we can uh, send, if we can be in tune with our uh, innate sense of being, so in the morning, it's very natural to say good morning to our partner or a friend if they're staying over, or our parents if we're still living at home. Or, or our dogs. Or our dogs, exactly. <laughs> or even our plants, if we feel that. And we don't have... We, we, I've witnessed that sometimes people jump on somebody in the morning because of what we were just talking about, filling up the space, fear of space. Mm. How did you sleep last night? <laughs> Would you like a cup of coffee? And what did I do with my purse? And do 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 When in fact, uh, morning is usually a, a very mm, gentle time of the day, which we can be sensitive to for ourselves and others, mm-hmm. particularly with ourselves, because that's where it starts. And give a lot of space around the simple good morning. Well, and let the rest yeah. naturally flow as yes. things ripen. That's a wonderful reminder that we can 
use every day. And it sets the tone for your entire day. Usually it does. Okay. So actually, uh, there's one last question that oh. I always ask. Okay. And you've kind of asked, answered it maybe, but so because the podcast is called Holistic Spaces Podcast. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. I think we might have asked you this last time, but we'll ask again because it may have changed. How do you, what do you do in your home or your spaces or you travel a lot to create a holistic space? How do you create holistic spaces around you that nurture you and support you? Well, for one thing, I'm constantly cleaning up my house and getting rid of things and trying at this point in my life, trying not to gather more. Secondly, I practice meditation, and I try to do it every day. Thirdly, I'm pretty good now in catching myself and being speedy and chaotic. So on the spot, I will just stop it, breathe, and go forward with whatever I'm doing. Sometimes I can't because I'm too wild in my mind. But um, practice has been uh, accumulating, so I feel I can do a better job at that. What do you mean by holistic spaces? I just sort of like forgot. a <laughs> space that I think you asked me that on the last podcast. What does holistic mean? But yeah. looking at your space as um, connected to you in a place, a representation of energy that can support you and also. and nurture you. Also. And you kind of touched on that even with just slowing down every morning yeah. and saying hello. That's a way to create an energy in your space that that changes the quality of your home. Mm-hmm. In your life, mm-hmm. in a practical way. Mm-hmm. Staying clean, being clean, not mm-hmm. having a bunch of dirty dishes around all the time. Uh, I have cats constantly working with cleaning up the cat hair. That's very supportive to live in a clean environment. And it's a little ritual on that, too, and routine. and Sure, sure. So creating, and it's creating a clean, sacred healthy space that's, that has attention and details uh, you, you pay attention to all the details yes of your cat space. hair is very small <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much marcia it's always you know we talk all the time but it's always a pleasure and i'm very um delighted that i can share your wisdom to people on the podcast oh, thank you Angie, for inviting me this is lovely Thank you so much for listening to this earlier episode of the Holistic Spaces podcast. Now you can tune in every Monday for a new podcast episode. If you like our podcast and this episode, please share the podcast with others. Subscribe and even better, leave a review. If you'd like to explore the world of holistic spaces and feng shui on an even deeper level, Please visit our website, online store, and blog for more information about feng shui and holistic living. You can visit holisticspaces.com. Support the podcast by checking out our certification and mini courses at mindfuldesignschool.com. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.